Welcome to Type 2 Diabetes Don't Sugarcoat It, delivering bite-sized pieces of information to your ears. My name is John Anderson, and I practice internal medicine and diabetes at the Frist Clinic in Nashville, Tennessee. It's part of a large multi-specialty clinic, and while I have expertise in diabetes, I'm a primary care provider. This program is intended for clinicians. The information presented in this podcast is aligned with the views and opinions of the speakers and is sponsored by Novo Nordisk. This podcast is not to be used as medical advice. I am pleased to be joined by Dr. Eden Miller and Dr. Serge Jabour to discuss today's topic, COVID-19 and diabetes, what you need to know. Hello, I'm Dr. Eden Miller. I practice family medicine in Bend, Oregon, and I'm the founder of Diabetes and Obesity Care, LLC. I'm a primary care provider, but I have a subspecialty in diabetes and obesity management. I just recently obtained my fellowship in obesity medicine, and I'm really trying to integrate high-level specialty care into the primary care realm. I'm Serge Abour. I'm an endocrinologist and a professor of medicine and director of the Jefferson Diabetes Center and Division of Endocrinology, Diabetes, and Metabolic Diseases at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Eden and Serge. So it's been over a year since the World Health Organization announced the COVID-19 pandemic. All of us in practice have had to change what we're doing. We've had to change styles, learn to adapt to telemedicine. Eden, let's start with you. You're a primary care provider like me. What's been the impact on your practice? How many patients have you lost to COVID in the past year? Thankfully, I haven't lost a patient, but I've had several that have been hospitalized. And one of the things that I think, John, that we're learning is we don't know this virus yet. We don't know its effect. We didn't know who was targeted. And having the conversation now, a year later, we know more. We definitely saw a pattern of how it was affecting our patients who had risk factors. And I think it came as a surprise, but not a huge surprise. But we really have a good opportunity to pause and look back and think, okay, how is this affecting individuals and who is at a higher risk? Yes. And it's interesting because when I have my patients who are at risk and don't want to get the vaccine, I let them know that I had 10 patients die from COVID in the past year. This is extraordinarily real. The youngest of them was 73, but a couple of them were not too sick 73s. Again, some of them were very old. Some had multiple risks, and many of them did nothing really to isolate themselves during the pandemic. And so, unfortunately, they succumbed to it. Serge, how has this impacted your practice? So, I lost five patients that I've known for a long time. Four out of the five had type 2 diabetes with metabolic syndrome, obesity, and hypertension. And all five patients were over 70 years old. Yes, we know that COVID-19 has amplified the risk for certain groups. If I just look at the patients who had severe illness and or death from COVID, I see diabetes and even uncontrolled diabetes. And certainly our older folks, people with other comorbidities such as hypertension, obesity. I have patients with heart failure, my patients with underlying pulmonary disease, COPD, particularly those with a long history of smoking, are extraordinarily vulnerable. Today, I'd like to explore further diabetes specifically. Serge, what is the increased risk for our patients with diabetes in terms of the consequences of COVID-19? John, the American Diabetes Association has said that people with diabetes, especially not well-controlled diabetes, are at higher risk to develop severe illness from COVID-19 with much higher rates of serious complications and death than people without diabetes. For example, one study showed that people with type 2 diabetes had three times the risk of severe illness or hospitalization from COVID-19 than those without type 2 diabetes. And the risk of death for hospitalized patients with COVID-19 
was nearly five times greater for those with diabetes and or uncontrolled hyperglycemia. In my own experience, I found that it's mostly the patients who have type 2 diabetes with A1C, more than 9%, and similar to what John said before, over 70 years old, that had the highest risk for complications from COVID-19 and also death. This shows how important it is to control diabetes. Of course, the ADA guidelines have been in place for a long time, but COVID-19 made it more obvious to us that controlling diabetes is really important, regardless of the age of the patient. Yes, absolutely. COVID-19 has brought to the forefront what we've known for a long time. Eden, do patients with diabetes face a higher risk of severe illness from COVID-19? Or do patients with diabetes have a higher risk of actually becoming infected with COVID-19? Those are two different questions around the same topic. Uh, Can you talk to us about that? Yes, exactly. If you are a patient with diabetes and you get it, are you going to get it bad or are you more likely to get it? You know, I just recently read an article that really reaffirms what we're talking about earlier, that if your patients have established diabetes, they have a higher rate of being hospitalized with COVID. They have a higher rate of having complications with COVID, and they have a higher rate of dying from COVID. I don't know that we have enough data yet to say that people with diabetes have a higher rate of being infected with COVID-19, but we do know that they're getting infected and having a higher viral load and are transmitting it. So these people need to be wary. And I sometimes tell my patients, you've got a target on your chest because of all the things that you bring to the table with your comorbidity, your diabetes, and you have to be mindful of it. You have to understand that it puts you at a much greater risk of having serious complications from it. So COVID-19 is another motivator for impatience to engage more in their diabetes. I guess that's one good thing to come out of COVID-19, for patients to engage more in their diabetes. Serge, we've established that our patients with diabetes are at higher risk for severe illness from COVID-19. And you mentioned that most of your patients who suffered severe illness or succumbed to COVID-19 had an A1C greater than 9%. Does uncontrolled hyperglycemia in and of itself portend a risk factor? And if so, what do we know about hyperglycemia as a risk factor for worse outcomes from COVID-19? So poor glycemic control is known to impair immune response to viral infections as well as secondary bacterial infections. Diabetes and high blood glucose levels are linked to increased complications, respiratory failure, and death in hospitalized patients with COVID-19. Patients with uncontrolled diabetes who suffer severe illness from COVID-19 have compromised adaptive immune responses and lung dysfunction. One possible explanation is that elevated blood glucose directly increases cytokine production and subsequent T-cell dysfunction, leading to lung epithelial cell death. On the other hand, good glycemic control can reduce the risk of serious infections and adverse outcomes. Absolutely. And research shows that there is a direct correlation between hospitalizations, poor outcomes, and mortality when individuals with uncontrolled type 2 diabetes either contracted COVID-19 or were hospitalized from it. As we go further into this epidemiological data, it becomes clear that there is this correlation even with just the disease state. This is kind of like you mentioned earlier. You have this one risk factor, and the next thing you know, you're layering other risk factors on top of it. I also believe that the hyperglycemia is kind of what we call the mascot of dysmetabolism. And when you're looking at an individual who cannot metabolize or compartmentalize glucose, they actually have a lot of dysmetabolic issues. 
The fat cells are complaining with all the excess insulin and storage. You have all of the pro-inflammatory markers that are being circulated or are a part of it. You throw the hyperglycemic response on it, which in and of itself is modification in endothelial cells, both macro and microvasculature. The opportunity for intervention is vast, which is exciting. It's not just one thing we have to do. We have multiple things that, when addressed, can lead to reductions in risk factors. You know, before COVID-19 and early 2019, Richard Aguilar, Stan Schwartz, and Mary Herman and I published a paper on the evolving concepts and treatments for type 2 diabetes, in which we included inflammation as a pathway that leads to hyperglycemia. Diabetes is simultaneously evolving in its description, in its therapeutic intervention, And the fact that COVID is an inflammatory disease has really resonated that our patients with diabetes are this inflammatory population. And with this level of inflammation is inherent to diabetes, it's also exponentially higher when you add on things like poor glycemic control and tobacco use. It has brought a more three-dimensional look to diabetes. It's not just a sugar thing. It goes beyond just lack of glucose control. It's really how this person has uncontrolled type 2 diabetes with hyperglycemia and inflammation and how we need to start treating them with everything in mind, not just lowering their sugar. You've got a pro-inflammatory state, diabetes, invaded by an acute inflammatory condition, COVID-19, and it's not good. Exactly. And in support of that, the most common post-mortem findings in patients who died from COVID-19 include diffuse alveolar damage, of course, but also inflammatory cell infiltration in the lungs. Furthermore, myocardial inflammation, lymphocyte infiltration in the liver, macrophage clustering in the brain, axonal injuries, microtrombi in glomeruli, and focal pancreatitis have all been reported in patients who have died from COVID-19, providing further evidence for the important role of inflammation and possible link between COVID-19 and diabetes. You know, the other pro-inflammatory state that we really haven't touched on and one that really a lot of times goes hand in hand with diabetes is the obesity issue, insulin resistance, increased hepatic glucose production, impaired glucose uptake. Talk to us a little bit about obesity as a risk factor for severe illness from COVID-19. Absolutely. Obesity is in and of itself a risk factor for severe illness and hospital admission from COVID-19. When you have excess glucose or you have even intra-abdominal fat, you have this direct bathing of your organs with these storagers of these inflammatory markers. Here you have this insulin resistant state, increased metabolic demand, inflammatory condition of the virus, and all of this adipose tissue that is getting stretched with glycemia. It starts dumping all of these inflammatory markers. This can have a negative impact on cells. All of these signals are signals of what we should say in massive dysfunction. So not only do we have this state of diabetes, but now you insulate it with obesity and we continue to exponentially increase those risks. Because of this additional effect that excess weight and intra-abdominal fat has on overall inflammation, there was a time, John, that we didn't even think that obesity was a cardiovascular risk factor. Now we know that obesity is a CV risk factor, and it also translates into risk factor for those with diabetes, and unfortunately, the two often come together as a package deal. 
Diabetes and obesity are clearly risk factors for COVID-19, as we just discussed. But another comorbidity that many patients have, uh, especially those with type 2 diabetes, is CVD. So, Serge, take us through what we know about cardiovascular disease itself as a risk factor for patients with diabetes and COVID-19. CVD was the second highest risk factor for severe outcomes in hospitalized patients with COVID-19. Diabetes and CVD are among the most common pre-existing comorbidities in patients who died from COVID-19. Patients with long-term coronary artery disease and those with risk factors for ASCVD have an increased risk of developing an acute coronary syndrome from the severe increase in myocardial demand triggered by acute infections, such as influenza and COVID-19, which can lead to myocardial injury or infarction. Additionally, cytokine release from severe systemic inflammatory stress, such as during COVID-19 infection, could lead to atherosclerotic plaque instability and rupture. There is an increased risk of CV events even after recovery from COVID-19. A study from Germany of 100 patients recently recovered from COVID-19 found cardiac involvement in the majority of patients and ongoing myocardial inflammation in the majority of those patients independent of pre-existing conditions, severity, and overall course of the acute illness and time from the original diagnosis. In my experience, it's not only when people have COVID, it's when they recover too. I've seen patients who recovered from COVID-19, but they still suffer from the post-COVID syndrome, which included CV events. We've had a few patients at Jefferson who've had post-COVID syndrome. Three to nine months post-COVID, these patients kept complaining of shortness of breath. Some had the chest pain, chronic fatigue, extensive testing, including chest x-rays, EKGs, stress tests, and echoes came back completely normal for most of these patients. Only two patients had abnormal testing with subsequent cardiac biopsies revealing myocarditis, which has been described either during or after COVID. This shows the importance of COVID, not only during the active infection, but also during the recovery period. As much as 77% of patients with COVID-19 who developed diabetic ketoacidosis had type 2 diabetes. What can you tell us about DKA among patients with COVID-19 and diabetes? You know, in a real-world, everyday scenario, most patients with type 2 diabetes, they make enough insulin, get enough insulin for their metabolic needs. But when you change that scenario with something like steroid use or massive metabolic demand or massive inflammation, you're illuminating the current state of their disease that you weren't aware of. And it may require us in the future to really reclassify diabetes to be mindful that certain individuals, when their metabolic demand goes up because of inflammation or COVID, that these individuals are at risk for DKA because their metabolic demand outpaces that of their pancreas. So we have to be thinking deeper about diabetes and about how these particular scenarios develop. And there are current classes of diabetes medications that may increase the risk of DKA. So I look at this as an opportunity for further disease awareness. We now have several approved vaccines for COVID-19. Serge, what do the National Endocrine Societies recommend in terms of COVID-19 vaccination for our patients with diabetes? They strongly recommend that HCPs advocate for COVID-19 vaccinations for their patients and work to proactively address their concerns and remain knowledgeable regarding vaccination hesitancy and methods for improving vaccination rates among endocrine patients. I deal with this every day. There are few concerns that my patients have that are pretty common. People are obviously concerned about safety. People are concerned about side effects. 
And I told him that's not a necessarily bad thing to get the side effects. It's the immune system reacting to the vaccine. If you get a fever, chill, or muscle aches, it doesn't mean that there is damage to your body. Of course, people have concerns about long-term safety, about what the vaccine may do over time. People worry about fertility issues or other long-term damage to their lungs, their heart. And I tell them, you know what? You have to choose between getting the COVID-19 infection with not only the complications of it, but also the post-COVID syndrome, which who knows how long that can last, versus the vaccination, which can prevent you from getting COVID-19 infection and all these complications, and accept the safety data we have so far. I mean, no one has long-term safety on a flu shot. The flu shot is different each year based on the flu strain, and no one asks for safety data of the flu shot for the next 10 years. We don't have that, but we still get the flu shot. So it's a benefit-to-risk ratio and I discuss it with my patients. Isn't it interesting? People have a lot of fear, don't they? I often tell people, we're in a pandemic. Did you think this was going to be an easy decision? You know, what would be ideal? Well, we wouldn't be in a pandemic and we wouldn't be talking about this. We are all playing the roulette game of saying, what are the side effects, risks, benefits? And it's an individual decision. And I encourage our individuals to be informed, not misinformed or fearful. We never want people to make a decision out of fear. We want them to make it out of information, facts, and personal choice. So I urge them to have an in-depth discussion with their provider. Take into consideration their risks, because either way, it is something we have to decide, because we don't know the effects of the vaccine We don't know the effects of the disease, but we have to weigh those considerations because we have seen a distinct benefit for those who have been vaccinated. We are seeing that emerging infections are predominantly in those that are unvaccinated. And so continuing to get that information, that's an individual decision. Stick with those facts because there are no concerns for those with penicillin or egg allergies for the COVID-19 vaccine FDA approved as of August 2021. I'm hard-pressed to find patients who should not get the COVID-19 vaccine. Eden, Serge, thank you so much for your time. What last points would you like to get across to your colleagues? We have talked forever on how to manage patients with diabetes based on ADA and ACE guidelines, and how to get an A1C to less than 6.5, or 7%. But now with COVID, we know the importance of actually controlling type 2 diabetes. Because uncontrolled diabetes, as we know, now can lead to more complications, hospitalizations, and death from COVID-19 infection, because uncontrolled diabetes can impair the immune function and lead to higher cytokines, which can lead to more damage, including lung damage, cardiac damage, and possibly more post-COVID syndrome. I also learned during this pandemic that not only is the acute infection important, but the post-COVID syndrome is as important because even after people recover from COVID, they can still suffer from post-COVID syndrome for quite some time. I think one of the things that we clearly want to provide is more information for our colleagues surrounding the fact that we know COVID and diabetes are associated. And maybe they're associated on many different levels, whether it's contracting COVID-19, hospitalization, mortality, morbidity. We all know that diabetes management is a marathon, not a sprint. So we want to have meaningful discussions regarding this so you can educate your patients. And we can be preventative and proactive on so many levels because we don't ever want to practice medicine reactively. 
And now that we're looking at diabetes from a preventative standpoint, here's one more reason to be more engaged and involved in your diabetes. So we can prevent the ravages of the disease and also prevent some of the recent ramifications that have emerged due to COVID-19 for those individuals. Although just dropping hyperglycemia can help control inflammatory state, consider managing and treating the patient as a whole and look for ways to treat them that have a multidimensional effect on the body. So we need to continue to stay educated to be able to provide optimal care for our patients. Well, Eden and Serge, I want to thank both of you for joining us for this podcast, T2D Don't Sugarcoat It. Please join us next time. I'm Dr. John Anderson. Thanks for listening.